Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, and I'm reading this from the NRSV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we dive into our text for today, let's pray together. Lord, you are merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in love. You are unendingly patient and gracious with us, and you continue to call us to yourself so that we might know and deeply live into our belovedness in Christ. Bless our time together this morning, Lord, as we encounter you in your word. Open our minds and our hearts to receive the good news that you have for us today. Let us be filled and renewed in your presence and by your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, how many of you have heard a sermon on this text from Romans before, (laughs) or maybe read this text before on your own? Right? Some of us might be a little familiar with this one. And we know, or, or maybe we could recognize even as we just heard it, that this is chocked full of preaching potential. Right? <laughs> I mean, Paul has somehow managed to pack so much, like, delicious spiritual goodness into these two short verses. I mean, it is a theological smorgasbord. Right? It is every pastor's joy and nightmare at the same time. Because uh, in this text, we are, we are talking about sacrifices and worship. We're talking about not conforming to the, the tensions and the temptations of the world. We're talking about renewal and transformation and discerning the will of God. Like, this is meaty stuff. <laughs> right? There are a million different sermons one could preach from this text. Uh, and all of them would be valuable, right? So, how do you choose? <laughs> how do we think about and determine what God's word is for us today. You know, this was kind of my conundrum this week. How does one hone in on a point to preach from a text that's so rich as this? I mean, obviously, we start with prayer, right? Whenever we go to the word of God, we acknowledge that it is God's word uh, and that it's his spirit's work to bring it to life in us. And after we pray, we dive in and uh, we see what comes. We start looking at the text, uh, the story, the poem, whatever it happens to be, and we ask questions. And for this text, there are a lot of questions. Right, listen to it one more time, this time from the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What questions do you have after reading this text? 
<laughs> One of the first things that caught me was this idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Like, what does that mean? Um, and to be perfectly honest, this is, this is kind of a pastor's bread and butter, right? We could dive really deep down the rabbit hole with this one. Because the sacrificial system was foundational to Jewish theology and practice. I mean, the, the offering of sacrifices was established way back in the law of Moses, and it's intricately tied to how the Israelites understood worship and communion with God. I mean, it was part of their ritual for giving thanks or for receiving atonement or for anointing people as priests or as kings. Uh, the offering of sacrifices is linked to the, the practice of tithing and, and giving of the first fruits of the harvest back to God as an act of gratitude. Uh, sometimes it was an occasion for communal celebration, and sometimes bringing sacrifices was an occasion for communal lament, right? This whole sacrificial system was a way of ordering life around right relationship with God in community with one another, and then, of course, by the time Paul is writing this text, he's very aware of the sacrifice of Jesus as God's son for our salvation. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was our sacrifice. So as we begin to dig in, we discover that there is a, a weight and a complexity and a theological significance to this call to sacrifice. It would have been associated with very visceral images of, of death uh, and cultural worship, and with this message of the gospel of Christ, this good news. And now here Paul is calling us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Like that is a completely paradoxical idea, right? A living sacrifice. <laughs> We're being asked to put our very selves up on the altar, but not in a way that implies death or martyrdom, right? Though that has been the cost for many Christians. But Paul expects us to take our whole selves, not just our minds and our hearts, but, but our bodies and our habits and our, our uh, well, Eugene Peterson says, our everyday sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around lives, all of it, and submit them entirely to God. Is that the point of this text? Is that what we are meant to focus on? Because we're told that that's what's considered holy and acceptable to God. But then we might ask, well, what does holy and acceptable mean? Right? There's another can of worms to open. So the word holy, or, or hagios in Greek, means something sacred or set apart. Uh, in the physical sense, it can mean pure, and in the moral sense, it can mean blameless. And in the ceremonial sense, it can mean consecrated for a particular purpose. I mean, think about how each of those things apply in your life. Is that what this text is about? Striving for sacredness or purity or blamelessness in everything that we do? And what about acceptability, right? We're just looking for bare minimum standards here. Like God's looking down on us and saying, you know, I see what you're bringing forward. It's not great, but it's acceptable, <laughs> and I'll take it, right? <laughs> I mean, here's where we have to be careful of our translation and the connotations as we're asking questions, because this word acceptable means something more like pleasing. The practice of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is pleasing to God, and anything that we bring to him, our best selves or our worst selves, is acceptable to him. We don't have to earn our acceptability. 
we can't earn our acceptability. We can only offer ourselves to him in gratitude for his great mercy towards us. That's our act of worship. Maybe that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. But then there's another question, right? Because what kind of worship is it? In one translation, we heard this is called our spiritual worship, and then in another, it's called our true and proper worship. Uh, So we need to look into that too. And when we dig into the text, we make even more connections here. We find out that the root word for describing our worship here in Greek is logikos, which is where we get our word for logic. Um, It's also tied to the Greek word logos, which is the word that we use for word, capital W, to describe Jesus in texts like John 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos was God. So when Paul describes our worship as logikos, there's a lot of meaning in that, right? He means that it's logical, it's reasonable, it's true and proper, and also spiritual in the sense of, of being related to our rational self rather than our physical body. And yet he's already intentionally used the language of body to describe what we're meant to offer as living sacrifice. So it's all beginning to converge here a little bit. We might even say that our whole self living sacrifice is inherently Christ-like in that it's related to the Logos, this word of God that governs all things, and it's modeled on Christ's own sacrifice of self. Is that the point that Paul wants us to realize here that we're to follow in the self-sacrificial way of the Logos of God? And yet another wrench in this puzzle is whether Paul is addressing each of us individually or if he's appealing to the church as a whole in these verses. I mean, we don't get this often when we read the New Testament in English, but many of the yous that we read uh, in these letters are plural. So is it our collective worship and offering that's going to be most pleasing to God? Is it what we do together? Is that where we run with this text? (sighs) By this point in my sermon prep this week, I'm taking a break. (laughs) I'm going for a walk. having a cup of coffee, letting it marinate a little bit, because this is a lot, right? (laughs) We've been wading through the sacrificial system and atonement and holiness and worship, and and now there's a whole other host of questions that we can ask after, or when we come to verse two. (laughs) I mean, how many of you, when we read this text or when you've read this text in the past, have been drawn to this distinction between uh, being conformed to the world versus being transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? That one was a big hook for me this week. It feels particularly relevant to our churches and our culture right now, right? There is high pressure to conform, to set expectations that people have, whether those are social or political or religious or what have you. It is easy for us today to feel like our value is determined by whether or not we agree with certain things or we act in certain prescribed ways, right? Our culture is very good at delineating in-groups versus out-groups, and we frequently put one another in boxes, and we get caught in our biases against one another. There is very little room for questions or doubts or honest, vulnerable conversation and there's little consensus on what is actually true. 
Even in our churches, we're finding it harder and harder, I think, to be patient and gracious with one another when we disagree. And that's a product of what our broken world has reinforced, that we are safer when we just conform. We just look and believe and act like everyone else does, and we don't have to question it. But according to Paul, that's not the Christian path. We're free of that. <laughs> to conform is, is to assimilate, to be compliant, or to be fashioned according to a prescribed pattern. But to be transformed is to be changed in our very nature or essence in a way that manifests in our outward appearance, in our outer lives. We are changed from the inside. This is where we get our word for metamorphosis, right? It's a transformation of our very self into the likeness of Christ. That's a point we could take to the bank, right? N.T. Wright says this about this verse. Paul's appeal now is that we should refuse to let the present age squeeze us into its mold, dictate to us how we should think and indeed what we should think, and tell us how we can and can't behave. Instead, we are to be transformed. Our minds need to be renewed. We have to set the pace ourselves and work out what sort of people we should be. And the basis for this is not what the surrounding culture expects of us, but what God and his mercy has done for us. It's not about what our culture, even our church culture, expects of us. It's about what God in his mercy has done for us. Right? We're being transformed completely into something new and something that doesn't look like anyone else other than Christ. <laughs> Is that our sermon for today? Well, how about this piece about renewing our minds, right? Paul says that this is part of the path of transformation. We often talk about our hearts being changed, uh, but what does it look like to have our minds completely renewed? How do we think differently so that we're able and invited to live differently? And how does that relate to being able to discern the will of God? Right, that's, that's a big prospect, right? To discern means to question and examine and to test and approve. But how are we supposed to do that with something so incomprehensible as the will of God? Right, just a few verses before this, in chapter 11, Paul has said, how unsearchable are the judgments of God and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? <laughs> or who has been the, his counselor? I mean, certainly not me. It kind of sounds like he's asking us to do the impossible. I mean, some of us occasionally feel like our minds are one act short of a circus. So how is this supposed to comprehend all of that, right? Thankfully, in 1 Corinthians, Paul clarifies this for us, and he says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us, for we have the mind of Christ. So once again, thanks be to God, we realize that it is not by our effort that we are considered pleasing, 
And it's not by our understanding that we come to be transformed and know God's will. It's all a work of his spirit within us. That's who we invite to transform us. Is this the main point of Paul's pleading here in these verses? (laughs) Oh, please, God, please help us understand what it is that you have for us today. What is the point, the thing that we need to know and understand in this text? I don't know. I don't know. It's so wonderful, and it's so complex. It's every pastor's joy and nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I was asking God this week for a word, some, some profound, clear-cut message to bring out of this text this morning. But what if there isn't one? What if searching for a point isn't the point? You know, what if it's just about going through the process. I mean, we pray and we read and we question and we put this text into practice in our lives as we do with every text. And we discover all of the ways and the places that we encounter God along the way, right? And in that, we are changed. In that, God has an opening into our hearts and our lives. Maybe it's not about finding a destination or an answer or a point or something to stake our claim on, but simply about being led on the journey. This is one of the things that both Pastor Chris and I love so much about this church and this congregation, that we are willing to be led on the journey. Right? We're not afraid to dive in and dig deeply. We are a church that wrestles and asks questions. We are committed to the word of God and to allowing ourselves to be formed in his image. Our minds are renewed purely by the fact of being open to God's spirit and by not being afraid to submit ourselves to him and to discover and to wrestle with what it means to be in Christ. We do this throughout our whole lives And in that process, our bodies and our lives are transformed just by recklessly following Jesus into the unknown. Even when adamantly believing that we do know, that we already know, feels so much safer. Sometimes we just don't know, and that's okay. We put our lives and our minds wholeheartedly on the altar of the word, and we see how he shows up for us. I mean, where was God for you in this text? What questions did you have, or do you still have? I guarantee I didn't answer all of them. There's so much more. (laughs) When I was a kid, um, I was afraid of questions, I think. I, I thought that, like a lot of people, that having faith meant being sure or having all of the right answers, not ever having any doubts. Um, My faith was kind of, I sometimes describe it like like a Jenga tower. Like I thought that if uh, I started questioning and pulling out little pieces at a time to examine that eventually it would just all come crashing down. (laughs) It was kind of terrifying. I mean, I remember having conversations with Matt when we were in college and just really digging deeply into faith for the first time and, 
ending up in tears sometimes after these conversations. I mean, not because anything was wrong with our discussion or with our conversations or I was losing my faith, but just because I was asking real questions for the first time, and it felt vulnerable not to have a clear and concise pillar of propositions and beliefs to stand on. Slowly over time, I realized that that very broken pile of Jenga pieces was exactly what God needed to be able to carve and to form and to slowly build me back up into the shape that he wanted me to be in, not the shape that I felt comfortable with. A shape that I hope looks a lot more Christ-like than it did before. And he is not finished with me yet. And he's not finished with you yet. (laughs) I mean, as Christians, there can certainly still be pressure uh, to have the right answers, right? But we are no longer slaves to that kind of pressure. Thank the Lord. (laughs) We no longer need to conform to any pre-prescribed boxes of knowing all the answers or having it all together or fitting in perfectly. We are free to think and to live differently genuinely, openly, because our Christian faith is not about having a set of propositions or points to believe. It's about encountering a person to be followed, right? Seek and you shall find, Jesus said. And in view of God's mercy, because of all that he has done for us, offer your bodies, your lives, your everyday eating, drinking, walking around lives as a living sacrifice. Keep going to the word of God and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So where will we seek him? How will he shape us? What mercies does God have waiting for you on his altar today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us to humble ourselves before you, to admit that there are things in our life and in our faith that we just don't understand, but God, that you are so powerful and so loving and so inviting and welcoming that we continue to come back and ask and wrestle. And we realize in that that you have pursued us, that you are the one that's guiding us along the journey that you are the one who has so much to teach us and show us, not just about the world, but about ourselves and how loved we are by you. Lord, thank you for this body of believers and the ways that we challenge and encourage one another to dig deeply, the ways that we see you in and through one another. Help keep us in those vulnerable spaces where we are just putting our whole selves on the altar for you maybe not knowing what it's going to bring. (laughs) Lord, meet us in those places and draw us to yourself and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed and that we might boldly and recklessly look more like Jesus. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen.